0: I don't know if any of you watched Bob Ross over the years, the, the famous painter, right? Anyone watch Bob Ross? Just me? Okay, all right. Some people I hear even pull them up on YouTube now and they just watch them, just, you know, be at peace. It's so soothing. And one of the things I, I remember about Bob Ross as I was watching him as I grew up was he would put these like odd marks on the canvas when he initially started and he would begin to describe the landscape or where he was going with the painting. But it it just, I couldn't picture, I couldn't picture what he was doing. It just looked like random marks on a canvas. Now for him, he knew exactly what he was doing. But for me, at the beginning, it just made no sense because it just looked like random marks on a canvas. So I want to just give you an image of what that begins to look like. Let me just throw this up here. I know it's a bit small because of the the way it's, it's, pictured here. But you see up in that top left-hand corner here, these X's and the, this is supposed to be a sky. Now, if you start right there and you say, we're going to now just, we're going to just paint a beautiful, you know, beach, beach portrait. And you begin by putting X's. It doesn't look anything like a beach portrait, does it? You've got to just continue to walk that journey of the painting. Eventually, you're going to get to the sand and the, the waves and the horizon with the clouds. But it all starts with some random X's in the sky. It just doesn't look like they fit. and You don't have any idea what's going on. Now, I'm going to suggest that this evolution of a watercolor painting actually has a lot to say or teach us about our passage today. So our passage today is the one place in the Gospel of Mark that most scholars believe that Mark has taken different sayings of Jesus and compiled them into this one passage to make a point about the broader context of chapter 9. So that maybe what we're about to read didn't just happen, you know, back to back to back to back, but there's actually time that that takes place, there's, there's this duration of time between what happens previously in chapter 9 and where we go in today's passage, but that Mark wants to put them together to tell us something, to lead us further in the story. So I just want you to understand, maybe what you're going to read today looks like X's in the sky, doesn't look like it makes much sense. But my hope is that we can see how those X's or these things that don't seem to make sense actually give us a very clear picture of the kingdom of God. So that's the goal. We're going to jump in. Mark chapter 9. We're going to pick up with verse 38. Verse 38. Chapter 9, verse 38. Here's what we read Teacher, said John, we saw someone, we saw someone driving out demons in your name. We told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say, something, say anything bad about me, for whoever is not against us is for us. Truly, I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck. And they were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. Ah, salt. We're cutting off limbs. We're giving cups of water. And we're talking about having a millstone around your neck being thrown into the sea. Now, at first glance, that doesn't seem, none of that seems connected. I don't know how you get from a cup of water to a millstone to cutting off limbs to a cup of water. That doesn't seem to make sense. But I think what has happened here is that Mark has taken some of these sayings of Jesus and put them in an order in the aftermath of, of the previous passage to tell us something about the kingdom of God. Let's start then, let's start with that, pa- that part of the passage that talks about cutting things off. Now, we've got to really wonder here, is Jesus being serious? Like, if your hand gives you trouble, cut it off, because it's better to go into he- go into heaven with one hand than to go into hell with two? I mean, is this literal? Is this what Jesus is talking about? Well, if the kingdom of God is just about doing all the right things by following all the right rules, then really... Jesus may have a point, that if your eye causes you to do something wrong, well then get rid of it. And really, that might leave you, particularly if you've got a problem with your eyes, feet, and hands, you're going to end up being a mutilated stump, right? But you can't get into heaven, so it's going to be okay. But that's where we would be left. One of my favorite scholars and philosophers is Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard has something to say about this this idea of going into heaven as as some type of maimed or mangled stump. And he gets us to, I think, the heart of what Jesus is saying when he starts talking about cutting things off because it's better to go to heaven with things cut off than to go into hell with everything put together. Take a look at what Willard says. I think he gets at the heart of what Jesus is saying here. Willard says this, "...the mutilated stump..." could still have a wicked heart. The deeper question always concerns who we are, not what you do or can do. What would you do if you could? Eliminating bodily parts will not change that. If you dismember your body to the point where you could never murder or even look hatefully at another, never commit adultery or even look to lust, your heart could still be full of anger, contempt, and obsessive desire for what is wrong, no matter how thoroughly stifled or suppressed it might be. You could have no eyeballs and still think lustfully. You could have no hands and still hate and be full of anger. So Jesus is driving us to understand the nature of the kingdom as an inside reality. That is, that what Jesus is is in the business of doing is doing some type of transformation inside of us. Remember, one of the things we have been talking about along on this long journey in the Gospel of Mark is that we want to take in the wider context. Jesus has already laid that foundation. To understand the kingdom as something that is happening on the inside of us. Remember what he said, Mark chapter 7. He already laid the groundwork. Here's what he says, verse 15, and then we're going to look at 20 through 23. Here's what he says. This is Jesus, Mark 7. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. Now he went on. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. It's an inside thing. So Jesus already said that chapters before we ever get to Mark chapter 9. He starts talking about cutting things off. We need to understand that Jesus is dealing with something on the inside that needs to be cut away. Now, this is the context for salt. So, This whole conversation about salt, salt has an essence. It has something that it does. It is fundamentally what it is. It purifies, it preserves, it also brings out flavor. But if salt loses its fundamental essence, you don't call it salt anymore. It now is unsalty. It's not salt. The same goes for humans. We are fundamentally, in essence, who we are inside. And then all of that comes out. And that's how we behave. It's how we act. It's what we look at. But it's our essence on the inside. So so this idea of saltiness is dealing with character. It's dealing with something on the inside of a human, the essence of a human. And so if your insides get really dark, then you become dark. Now, Jesus taught on this in a different place. So I don't know if you remember, he did this long sermon in the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel according to Matthew. We typically call it the Sermon on the Mount. And there Jesus has something to say about our eyeballs. But he says it in the context of greed. That is, our eyeballs represent our worldview, like our mindset. The thing inside of us, it's kind of like our filter, how we view the world. So it's our character, it's our essence, and how we look at the world. Now this passage that that we're going to read deals with looking at the world through an essence of greed. And if all you do is see the world through greed, that is, if your essence, your insides breathe, they are fueled by greed, then your insides get really dark. The point of the passage we're going to read has everything to do about the inside becoming dark. It's like salt losing its saltiness. Take a look, Matthew chapter 6, I just want to put this, this is another way of saying what Jesus is saying here in Mark chapter 9. He says, for where your treasure is there your heart will also be, the eye is the lamp of the body. Now if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light, but if your eyes are unhealthy your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? It is the same thing Jesus is saying when he says, if salt loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? This is the point, that if, you, if your essence becomes a certain thing, then how do you get that essence back? So we're dealing with insides. We're dealing with the inside. We're dealing with character. We're dealing with the heart. This is what Jesus is dealing with. So if we had to summarize what's going on here in Mark 9, like if we, if we just took that and made some application to Mark 9, what Jesus is saying about cutting hands off, feet, and gouging your eyes, I think this is what's going on. Jesus is warning the disciples that they cannot live in the kingdom of God unless they remove those things inside of themselves that are causing stumbling. Okay? That cause stumbling. I think that, is, that gets us at least into this passage. That's what Jesus wants to say. It's a warning about the insides and then removing things that are causing the stumbling. The question we sit with then is what is on the inside of the disciples that needs removing, right? Like if this is such a big problem, then what is it? Well, for that, we need to go back to the beginning of the passage, because there's our clue. Take a look at how the passage starts. Mark puts it here for a reason. Mark chapter 9, we just want to do a review, verse 39-41. Jesus said, "'Do not stop him, "'for no one who does a miracle in my name "'can in the next moment say anything bad about me. "'For whoever's not against us is for us, "'and truly I tell you, anyone who gives a cup of water in my name,' Because you belong to the Messiah, we will certainly not lose their reward. So now Jesus, Jesus now opens the gate for who is in, inside the inner circle. Just before this, the disciples have seen someone casting out demons in the name of Jesus, and the disciples said, no, you can't do that. And they rebuked the person. Here Jesus said, actually, not only do you, should you not rebuke them, just understand that if someone even brings you a cup of water, simple act, they actually get to be part of what we're doing too. They get to be part of it. So what Jesus is saying here, let's just make this kind of summarize it with just a short sentence here. The disciples tried to exclude people from the kingdom of God while Jesus welcomed anyone who trusted him. Now this is a big clue, big clue, it's going to help us understand what's inside the disciples that needs to be cut out. At the beginning of the passage, the disciples are trying to make sure to keep the inner circle as small as possible. Jesus says, anyone who trusts me, even gives a cup of water in the name of the Messiah, they're in. They're in. They're going to get a reward. Now, I'm just going to make a quick footnote. We've got a problem with this still today. Lots and lots of students of Jesus are still trying to exclude people trying to set the boundaries really, really tight so they're the ones that look good while everyone else is on the outside. Just want to be real careful with that. I think we need, to, we need to remember that Jesus casts a really wide net for anyone who trusts in him. This is not universalism. This is not everyone saved. But if you come to Jesus, there is an open invitation. There, is, there are welcoming arms. Now, here you have the disciples excluding and that's the clue to understanding what in the world was inside them. So let's go back to the passage we looked at last week. I want you to kind of open up the context a little bit. If you remember, they had an argument. You remember this argument? Take a look. Chapter 9, verse 31 through 34. Here's the argument. Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But... They did not understand what he meant, and they were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Hmm. What was inside the disciples that needed cut out? It probably has something to do with this argument about who was the greatest. If we had to summarize that passage to get us one step further to our answer, this is, where, this is where I want us to go. The disciples didn't understand that Jesus had to suffer and die because they didn't want to. They were too busy trying to be the greatest. Right? Now, what was inside the disciples that needed to be cut out? I'm going to call it Pride. That's what I'm going to call it. I'm going to call it pride. They wanted to be someone. Like They just didn't want to be someone. They wanted to be someone that was better than someone else. And so they have this argument among themselves. And then all of a sudden, in verse 38, Mark puts a story alongside that passage that shows us not only did they want to be greater than each other, they definitely wanted to be greater than anyone that thought, that, that thought they could be on the inside with them. And so they see a man rebuking a demon in the name of Jesus, and they say, stop it. And Jesus said, no, no, no. You let them in. You let them in. And by the way, if you cause someone like that person to stumble, it would be better for you to put a millstone around your neck. Actually, you need to cut that out. Now, that could be used in two ways. I don't know if you used to watch Full House, cut it out. Okay, all right. That just came to me by inspiration. I didn't even think about it till right now. Maybe that's a good memory for you. All right. <laughs> I'm so sorry, I need to recalibrate. That was I'm now just going back to TG, TGIF Fridays, and I, you, you know where I just went. Let's come back, come back to Scripture. So, so if we kind of considered then, all the things that pride has done along the way in this whole passage, I want to stack it. I just kind of like, let's just stack it so you can see all the things pride has done. And you can see how bad this inside thing is for the disciples. Check this out. The disciples were carrying pride inside themselves. Pride is why they couldn't understand that Jesus had to die. Pride is why they rebuked a person not in their inner circle. Pride is what they needed to cut out or else be in danger of hell. Pride is what would cause them to become unsalty or useless, and pride is what would keep them from peace. Pride is what would keep them from peace. Interesting, Jesus ends this passage, Mark records Jesus saying this thing about peace, verse 50. Interesting that he ends right there, where he said, be at peace with each other. A key part of peace and we see this throughout Scripture, but I'm going to just put that right here, like that, that principle, and just distill it into those few words in verse 50. The piece Jesus is talking about starts on the inside. So, so this, this, this passage that seems so odd with so many different pieces involved really is saying something about a human a human, a human inside, a the, the, uh, the, uh, person's insides. That is their heart. That's what we're dealing with. And so we're going to have to take, take some time to really consider how this application hits us as it relates to our insides, our hearts. Let me start with a question. Let me start with a question that brings us to some application. Like take all of this and get it down to your life, like my life right here. What inside of us is causing us to stumble, causing us to stumble? Hmm. What, What I'm considering here is that actually it's not your coworker that's causing you all the problems. It's not just your spouse or your children or your health things that go off things that go wrong and then our responses to those has a lot to do with what's inside of us if we could go back in the slides to the colossians 3 passage before the application the early christians the early christians knew that it really comes down to an inside issue colossians 3 take a look at what paul says this is something he says to the christians it sounds a lot like Jesus saying to cut something out. Take a look. He says this, Colossians 3, 5 through 9, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. So put to death as a way of removing sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. And he tells them, Paul tells them here, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself yourselves of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. This is the language of Jesus. That is, to cut off a hand or gouge an eye or cut off a foot. This is the same principle at play now among the early Christians, That the way that you and I move forward, the way we keep our saltiness, the way we have a good heart, is that we have to cut away things that are killing us. So let's go back into application in our slides and just take a look at that list, Paul's list. Like if we just had to just see the list. Here are some of the problems on our inside, in our heart. Sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, anger, rage, malice, slander. All of those things are sitting inside of our hearts. At some level, one of those is probably taking up residence. It has poisoned part of your character. Now, this would be a really depressing application if we stopped here. I just heard an amen. Amen. Yes, be very depressing. But there's a lot of hope because when the apostle paul wrote wrote how to get rid of all that evil all those evil things inside of us all those dark things he then came came after that list with a list of good things and i think that's the hope that we have to see so take a look at, take a look at what paul writes so this is colossians 3 again but verses 12 through 13 He says, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Interesting, right? So we know that when Jesus said to like remove your hand, your eye, your foot, he's dealing with your heart, like stuff in your heart that is keeping you from moving fully in the kingdom of God. That's what he's saying. He's saying you can remove something. He's dealing with the inside. And he ends that passage with a word about peace. With a word about peace. Now, peace is something that happens first on the inside, and then it grows out into our relationships with one another. Interesting that the apostle Paul, when he describes all the things we can put on, ends that short passage with something about our relationships and he picks forgiveness Isn't that interesting that he picks forgiveness you know he could have picked a lot of different things but he picked forgiveness as the thing that was tearing relationships apart because you know what happens when unforgiveness bitterness when that anger grows inside the heart all of a sudden you you, you become angry not just with other people but you begin to become angry with yourself Anger has a way of poisoning every part of us. Reminds me of when Jesus said, if the light inside of you is darkness, how great is that darkness? If unforgiveness grows, it will poison every part of you. And you know how we fuel and feed unforgiveness? We usually prop ourselves up by being the person that is right. We're the ones who have been harmed. We have been offended. And so we elevate ourselves. Another way of of talking about pride. So for some reason, Paul sees in this early Christian community that forgiveness is a way forward. And you know, forgiveness, a form of forgiveness, is giving grace. It's giving grace. It's by just giving unmerited favor to somebody. They don't even deserve it, but you just give it to them. It's giving grace. And so I think one of the ways you and I cut out those dark things inside of us is that we just give away grace. We give away grace. We give away grace to people that we don't like, people that annoy us. The coworker that just messed with us this week or your teenage child who talked back incessantly all week. You just give grace. You give grace. Now you give some punishments too. We just don't give grace. We give grace. We give punishments. We give grace, you know. But but you get the point. Paul saw that if you're gonna get rid of all those bad things, that whole list, that one way to do it is that you start giving grace. You start giving grace. So let's pull that to a next step. Let's pull it to the next step. Because I think we all understand how 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 we can give grace, but Here's what it might look like this week. A next step this week to take this passage and this application, get it on the ground for you and for me, is to ask God to help you give grace to someone, even to yourself. You know, one thing that happens in our world is, it isn't just that we're bitter towards someone else, right? Some of us really struggle with being really upset with ourselves because of something you did in your past, Because of abuse, someone laid on top of you over the years, telling you how evil you were, how stupid you were. You weren't good enough. And so there needs to be, you need to give yourself grace. When Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, sometimes we forget the as yourself part. I'm not saying that you and I need to act as like we're gods and worship ourselves, but we do need a healthy dose of self-love. Because the life you have has dignity. It has value because God gave it to you. And so one way to move forward, to cut out to cut out, this, these things that would keep us from living fully in the kingdom, one way of cutting off a hand, not your real hand, but that figurative hand, the poison in the heart, is to ask God to help you give grace to someone. And that someone might literally be yourself. Like, God, I have been beating myself up, and that's all you do. Well, you need help. You need help forgiving yourself or having grace with yourself. Because God actually likes you. And so we need to move in that direction. I want to be very clear here, by the way. So we're going to go to the last slide. I want to be very clear what we're saying on this next step. And it's this. Giving grace to someone is one step. It's one step we can take with God's power to remove those things inside of us that hinder us from experiencing the fullness of God's kingdom. It's one step. Listen, I don't have a magic formula for how you and I live fully in the kingdom of God. There's no four-week sermon series that you and I can go through that'll make you baby to mature Christian. There's no class. There's no Bible memory program. There's no worship set. There's no small group, life group, Sunday school class. There is no formula that will make you a perfect Christian. But forgiveness, or at least giving grace, is one thing we can do. One step that moves us in the right direction. And let the Holy Spirit then do some work to start cutting off some hands and gouging some eyes and cutting off some feet to move us more fully in the kingdom, one step. And did you notice in that next step, it says to ask God for help? Because you know what often happens, and man, this frustrates me. When preachers will, will give some generic application like move closer to God, just love God more, follow Jesus with all your heart, or they'll say something like, forgive the person who hurt you. What does that mean? Like, as if it's a switch you can turn. That's why we ask God for help. Like, you can ask God for help. Like, that's something you can do. Now, I don't know exactly how God moves to get us to a point where we give grace to someone who hurt us or we give grace to ourselves. I don't know how all that works inside. But I do know I have control over my request. And that's where we start. What we can control. That's part of us training as students of Jesus. So this week I'm not saying you need to go home and forgive your abusive parent. Like that's not, that's not the next step. The next step is to ask God to help you give grace, even to yourself. That you and I can control as we train in the kingdom of God. And that will be a really good thing for us because we will experience love and grace and fullness of life. We might call that peace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, for giving Mark inspiration to put together his gospel with such intelligence that he took these sayings of Jesus and put them together so that we would see a deep principle of the kingdom of God. Would you help us to cut away those things that are keeping us from the fullness of your kingdom? Would you help us to give grace to someone this week? That may be someone who annoys us, someone who has hurt us. It may just be ourselves. Would you teach us, Holy Spirit, that we are valuable in your kingdom and the dreams and the hopes that you have given us, that they actually matter in your kingdom? And so will you help us move in that direction? We are thankful that you give us help and that you love us and really do like us. We pray that under the authority and we hope in the direction of Jesus. And together we say, amen.